Well, this morning, I'm going to take a rabbit trail that I have looked at before, and we're just going to do the rabbit trail. So some of you will have heard pieces of this before. I've been in a text somewhere, and I've come back to this little rabbit trail. I like it, and, and I can't resist. And this morning, this is all the rabbit we're chasing. Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is the great eight of the Old Testament. We say Romans 8, the great eight. Romans 8, all the truth you're going to need, all the theology, all the richness, the great eight of Romans. We did a small group on Romans in my house. We cried when it was, not because it was theologically profound, it was. We cried because it was hard and it was dense and we, we struggled with the text. Deuteronomy, and ignore the chapters and references, remember, these are GPS coordinates. The verses and chapters were added later. The text is the text. I have Bibles with no chapters and no verses. It's just the story. It's just the truth. The verses are not the truths. They're GPS coordinates. They're Latin longs to tell you where to go to. I've, I've taken the habit now in a blog I'm writing to say not Deuteronomy, not at, or sorry, to say at, not in Deuteronomy 7.7. The truth is not in Deuteronomy 7.7. It's at. That's the geographical location. It's a small change, but I think there's merit in it. So we're just going to explore that rabbit trail this morning. The truths that I have strung together for you before, just on occasion, in other texts. And it's appropriate, I've called it not because, seeing grace in the Old Testament. We, we tend to think God of the Old Testament and then God of the New. There's only one God. There is only one sovereign God. And there is grace in the Old Testament God. There is justice. There is getting what you deserve. Kids mess up, clean up. Justice. Or else. Then there's mercy. Not getting the punishment you deserve. That's mercy. Spared punishment. God is a God of justice. God is a God of mercy. And God is a God of grace. God is a God of unmerited favor. Joyous blessings, things you don't deserve. And there is grace in the Old Testament. That's the message for this morning. And we're close to Easter. Easter is the epitome of grace. Easter is grace magnified and celebrated and commemorated. Christ on the cross. Atonement, propitiation. New Testament technical term. J.I. Packer. Propitiation for our sins. So just grace is close, and we want to look at grace this morning leading up into the message of Easter, which will unfold in the coming weeks. I want you to see this morning when it's over. I want you to marvel at the grace of God in the Old Testament story, in the great eight of Deuteronomy. You take chapter six of Deuteronomy and chapter seven, put them together and call them Derek's great eight of the Old Testament. Because this is my favorite book. We're going to enjoy this. Let's go to Deuteronomy 7. And we're going to look at verses 6 to 9. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 9. Not because, seeing grace in the Old Testament. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. That's the beginning. Let's just, let's just sit there for a second. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. Ye saints, be saints. We're not perfect. We had that line in our life group on last Sunday night. Ye saints, be saints. That's what that says. You are a people holy. But they're not holy. They rebel. They forget. They frustrate. They're hard-hearted. 
O ye rebellious people, how hard-hearted, and us in our sins. But it says here, for you are a people holy. The message is, ye saints, be saints. It's the John Piper book. I brought it this morning. He edited it. It's called Acting the Miracle. Because it is a miracle. It is grace. We need to act the miracle. For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the numbers who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were good looking, smarter, better, more ethical, more religious. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. That's what God does. That's grace. The Lord sets love and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you. The Lord set his love on you because he loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I'm reading the Old Testament through again this year, the Bible through. And this year I'm reading it chronologically. I've done that before once, and it's wonderful, because our Bible is not perfectly chronological. We've got all the, the Torah in the beginning, and then we've got the history books, and all the Samuels, and the Kings, and the Chronicles. Then we've got the prophets on the other side, the major and the minors. They are supposed to be interspersed in the story of what's taking place with all the kings, as the kingdom divides. All of that is being captured in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all the other prophets. From Genesis 1-1 to Malachi 4-6, is our Bible. But in the chronology, it comes a little differently at us. And in this, in this text, we're remembering, and I'm seeing this as I read through this again, and this is the marvel I have with this text, and that's why I want to talk about it this morning. As you read it through, you see the pearls. As you read it through quickly, it's, it's two weeks of reading if you, if you are a normal adult in watching TV. I've said this before. We got TV last week, so talk to me later about that. First time ever. C cable. 25 hours a week, average adult. 50 hours to read the Old Testament. Two weeks reading. Stretch out, I'll give you three. And see the story. It's right to focus on small portions. That is right and good. That is the right way to approach the text and to open it to us. That is good and true. But in the broad swath, we get the story of reality. And as you read it through, that's why I came to this text for this week when I was asked. I said, I'm going to go back to my favorite passage and I'm going to unpack it for the whole sermon. You see the whole story how God is calling out his people, choosing his people, setting his love on his people because he loves. Because the God of the Old Testament is a God of grace as well. Not just the God of the New Testament, as we say. Ye saints be saints. Not because, more in number, and you can add any other qualifier you like, not because. And know therefore, it goes on to say in verse 9, know therefore, truth for the mind, not just sentiment, not, not just intuition. Know this. Know this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, comma, the faithful God. This is the God who you can believe in, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's who God is. This text is telling us who the people are. Ye saints. People holy to the Lord your God. That's applicable to the New Testament. You could go from Deuteronomy 1 to Deuteronomy 34 and you can trace the gospel message. 
You can mark down text of the New Testament that you will sing, see echoes of in Deuteronomy. All the grace of the New Testament gospel is back here. We'll close with that. We'll come back to that. So know, therefore, truth for the mind. This is our story, people. This is our story. Not in the false sense. Not in the stories we tell our children. This is our foundation. This is the story of our civilization. This is the story of the West. And now, gladly so, of the East and of Africa, where people are coming to the gospel in untold numbers. China. Remarkable progress in the gospel in China. And in the West, we've, we've gotten past that. How sad that we neglect the book. How sad that we neglect knowing of the God to whom the book points. The Bible is not God. It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. I've said that before. But what else do we have that will tell us about who Jesus is? And all God's promises find their yes in Jesus. Amen? This is Old Testament. All God's promises find their yes in Jesus. We find it in the book. There's a book out now. It just came to my mind this uh, attention this week. It's a new book by Greg Kokel. I can't pronounce it. K-O-U-K-L. Greg, he's with Stand to Reason, the organization Apologetics, many of you know of. The story of reality. How the world began. How it ends. And everything important that happens in between. That's that. That's, that's what this is. This is the story of our origins, all the existential questions. Who are we? Where are we from? How shall we live? Where are we going? What is the story we're meant to believe as a culture and as a people, as a people of faith? This is a picture of reality. And we, we, we narrow it down, and, and it's right to, to, to believe in Christ. And Christianity is, is believing in Christ for salvation. But the whole story is bigger. That's the apex. But the whole story, you can't talk to people today about their sin and have people say, well, that makes sense. I understand. I'm bad. They, they have no point of reference. What do you mean sin? We, we, I, I do what I want. I don't hurt anybody. I'm better than him or you or someone else. No, no. You have to have a story beyond that. You have to, have, you have to start with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God creates. That's why the book that Kugel has out, or Greg has out, it explains the way the world is, the big picture clearly. The story of how the world began. Why the world is the way it is. What, the, what role humans play in the drama. How all the plot lines of the story are resolved in the end. Without the full story, you say to people, repent. Repent of what? What have I got to repent from? Well, let's explore your mind a little bit wider open and look at the whole story and see the truth of who God is. The full revelation. The full revelation. Because everyone has a story, you know. Everyone has convictions about reality. And they say, Christians, you have your convictions and you're, you're narrow-minded and bigoted, particularly the sexual ethics, right? We draw lines in harsh places, they say. But the world draws lines, too. The world draws lines and says, well, our lines are wrong. We're all drawing lines. We all have an ethic. We all have a culture. We believe and live. This is ours. The world will have its, and we will have ours, and we need to know it, and we need to know it in the big picture. We need to know the whole story. And don't forget it, the Bible says. The Bible says repeatedly, don't forget your story. You go to Psalm 77, and this is, this is a repeat and expanded version 
of Psalm 13. How long will the Lord not listen to me? How long will I cry in the night? How long will my bones ache and my arms weary from being held up, waiting for a response from the Lord? And the Psalm 13 says, and then I remembered. It's the same in Psalm 77. Hold my eyelids open, so troubled I can't speak. I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. My hand stretched out without wearying. Then I said, says the psalmist, the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders as of old. Yes, I will remember, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. The God who works wonders, made known your might among the peoples, with your own arm redeemed your people, set love because he loves. When the waters saw you, the waters were afraid. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your way was through the sea. That's the Red Sea. That's the story. That's the truth in history. We sang in history he died and rose again. In history this happened. This is our story. Your path through the great waters. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Psalm 78, the very next song. He established a testimony. That's what he was doing. When you start at Genesis 1 and close off at Malachi, you're seeing the story that he has established for us to believe. And we will not hide them from our children. Verse 4 of Psalm 78. But tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know the children yet unborn. How far are we removed from that? And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of the Lord but keep his commandments. Don't forget how often I read this line the other day in a book review. How often in the Old Testament do we read that the people of Israel forgot? But they forgot. It's the old Samuel Johnson line. We need not so much to be taught as to be reminded. That's what the story tells us. And if we're not reading the story, if we're not into the story, maybe James, now is a good point to pop up that second slide I had. I didn't know if I'd use the slide. I only had one. Hear the word. That's one way to receive the word. Read the word. We take it in. Memorize the word. Tends to be in small portions, but memorize the word. Study the word. What do the words mean? And meditate on the word. Marvel. I've said it before. Hold up a diamond and turn it around and watch it refract. I had the math done on this. The weight of this Bible versus the world's largest diamond. (laughs) I think this was heavier. I can't remember. Once they refine the diamond, I'm sure, and cut it down for sale. This is a diamond to be held up and marveled at. And the light will refract through it. And you'll see all the truths in it. And you'll see the glory of God in it. And you'll see Christ. All his promises are yes in Jesus. In the book. Where was I? Psalm 78. And they forget. And we always forget. We forget the truths. We forget the promises. We forget the faithfulness of God. What does forgetting look like for God's people? He's just called them out of Egypt. Miraculous deeds and wonders. 
led them to the Red Sea, and if you recall the story, parked them on the wrong side of the sea so the Egyptians could catch up before he delivered them. Mm -hmm. Object lesson. Thank you very much, God. What does forgetting look like? Where are my keys? That's, that's, you know, standard. Where are my keys? Where's my wallet? Where's my phone? That's not what forgetting is like when you forget God. Ask our culture. Our unborn, our young, babies with Down syndrome in the womb, our vulnerable, our weak, our old, euthanasia. What does forgetting look like in a culture? And yet they sin still more against them. They did not believe in God and did not trust his saving powers. Flip over to 106, I believe it is. He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. 106.8. And they despised. And they built an altar of a calf out of gold. And we would say, no, we wouldn't do that. Moses, you go up on the mount, you receive the commandments and the law. We won't be down here fashioning gold calves from our jewelry. Oh, no, we're better than that. We won't forget they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. And where does it end up to? They mixed with the nations and learned, still in Psalm 106, and learned to do as they did. When you're reading it chronologically and you're reading what's going on in Exodus, if you get to the end of Deuteronomy, Moses has a whole song to teach the people to remember then you flip ahead in, in chronology and you see these other pearls because then they're in, circuit, they're in the text where they should be. You can buy full Bibles, you can print it off the internet and follow it chronologically, or you can buy the Bible where it's put in chronologically. It's just, it's just done that way. So then when you turn the page, you're getting the text you should get. When they forget, so when you read Exodus, and this is in the right order, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood. The blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the lamb was polluted with blood. That's what forgetting is. It's not where are your keys. Sadly. So that's 106. He saved and they forgot. How sad. How sad. That's why we have to read this. That's why we have to continually read the story. How many times can we read this through? My grandmother, God bless her, was written in the back of her Bible. 13 or 15 times, I forget. I think I thought it was a bit geeky at the time. How many times can we read it through and see text and, 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 and turns of phrase and truths that will come afresh to us and new to us? You think it's only rich for one reading? I used to teach, and I remember students would come to me and say, I read it, I still don't understand. Reading is not checking a box. Reading is, reading is getting it in. Reading is, is knowing the truth in heart and mind. So don't forget, back to, back to Deuteronomy <coughs> 6. So this is Derek's grade 8, 6 and 7 together. We've got to stitch them together. What is, we, we, we talked about the forgetting now. Let's go back and, and begin to continue to unpack the 7-7, seven, seven, not because in the Lord's love. Hear, O Israel, we all know this one. I'm going to ask for a little homework right on the spot. 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In Mark, sorry, might, and in, and in Mark they add mind, because in the Greek they had to capture a richer meaning in the Hebrew word. So there's no error of scribing, or it was a richer meaning they captured. What, what comes next? My, my mentor, John Patrick, Dr. John Patrick, unfolded this for me years ago. What comes next? I've seen him do this same test. Anybody want to volunteer? Pardon? And your neighbor is yourself. And that's the answer I gave. And that's right in the New Testament. Bev, that's, that, that's correct. And love your neighbor as yourself. Here, it's different in Deuteronomy. So that, that's true. Hold that thought. Don't <laughs> that's, that's the right answer. And there's another answer. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today. This is Moses' last will and testament. 1 to 34. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them around your arm. You've seen the picture of Orthodox Jews with sections of Torah bound around their arms. You shall carry them as a frontlet on your head. You've seen the little boxes? You've seen pictures? If you've been to Israel, you might have seen it at the Wailing Wall. Little boxes they head down over their foreheads, carrying the Torah, or portions of. You shall nail it to the jam of your, your door, the text says. You, you've heard of this? The little, we, we, we put crosses. They would have a little box. What was it called? A misbah? Does anybody know? Pardon? Mezuzah. Mezuzah. not bad. Mezuzah. Mizpah's benediction. Mizpah's benediction. Hebrew it was good. <laughs> they would nail it on their door jam. The word of God, because that's what the text says. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Teach your children. And when the Lord brings you into the land, 7-7, seven, seven, not because he set love because he loved. When the Lord brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. I love this. Cities you did not build. This is grace. Houses full of all good things that you did not fill. Cisterns that you did not dig. Vineyards and olivers that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Take care lest you forget. Don't forget. Obey. Worship. And you will be asked why, the text says. You've got to tell your children. You're going to talk about it at the table when you sit and when you rise and when you walk. Bind it around your arm, front it on your head, nail it to your door jam. And your kids are going to say why, it says in verse 20. When your son, and that includes my daughter, I said, do you want to stay in here, Daddy Preacher? Are you going to go up to nursery? I said, you can get someone to replace you. She said, I'd rather go to nursery. <laughs> when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, then you shall say to your daughter, we were Pharaoh slaves in Egypt. This is history. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against all his household before our eyes 
and yet they rebelled, Park thought. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, which he has commanded us to do. Oh, wow, isn't that rich? Why, Daddy? Why? Because this is our story. This is the story of reality. This is our truth. This is our God. This book tells us who he is. It tells us who we are. And it tells us who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done. And you say, Derek, that's, that's, a, that's good. That's good. And it gets better. And it gets better still. Let's go back further. We're still unpacking 7-7. Seven, seven, not because. And 8, he set his love. He chose the love. <coughs> so now let's back it up to Exodus. These are the pearls we've, I've alluded to before that I've, I'm delighted to unpack today. 6-6. Six, 6 Six is a good number. <laughs> I asked Philip, uh, how, big is, how big is Josiah? 6. 6 is his favorite number. Everything is 6. How much does he weigh? 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel. Exodus 6-6. Six, six. Say therefore to the people of Israel. I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am the Lord. Wow. 7, 3 to 5. The Lord said to Moses, top of the, top of the chapter, and then 3 to 5, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he does it repeatedly. Remember the illustration, stopping them before this side of the Red Sea so the Egyptians could challenge? And then he saves them, just so you know. Just so you know, people, it wasn't you. You didn't get across. You didn't build rafts. I stopped you. The pillar went on the other side. The Egyptians caught up. I saved you and led you across, just so you know. <coughs> These are object lessons in history for a reason. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, God says. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen. No, because God, you've hardened his heart. You repeatedly harden his heart. This is the object lesson. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. This is how I'm going to teach them. I'm not going to let Pharaoh let you go until he knows who God is, until he knows and, and, and God is God. This is the God of his chosen people. And this text repeats as well. So that Pharaoh, you will know. Pharaoh, so that the Egyptians will know. Moses, so you will know and understand. Israelites, so you will know and understand. All this text repeats. So that people of the world will know. And all their promises have their yes in Jesus a light to the Gentiles. A chosen people. His people in history. And, and we, could, we could unpack this for a long time. <coughs> Jewish culture. Jewish ethics. God's chosen people. This law given to the face of the earth. And their Messiah, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, a light to the Gentiles. 
22% of all Nobel Prizes won by Jews. 22%, point something percent of the world's population. A culture that hasn't known malnutrition because they sat and ate together. Children with men. I've been in cultures where I sit with the men and eat on the floor and when we're finished, the women, the drivers first would come in and servants and then the women and the children would eat. So fathers don't see what the children are eating. That's how they get malnourished. That's how you have malnutrition. But here you eat together. This is, this is a unique culture chosen by God. There's evidence of that. We could unpack that for a long time. So here, I will choose you. And the Egyptians will know. And everybody will know. 735, let's go now to 916. But for this purpose, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. This is the great object lesson of history. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth, so that the psalmist can say, and I remember the deeds. I remember his faithfulness. I don't have to trust the promise for tomorrow. That promise is grounded in deliverance of yesterday, in his faithfulness, in his character, 7-8. The Lord your God is faithful. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Flip it over. 10-1. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son. Deuteronomy 6.20 When your son says, Why, Dad? Why? Why this? Why these statutes, rules, and testimonies? Why the law? What, what are we, what's this all about? And, and the dad explains it. Because we were slaves in Pharaoh's land, and God saved us and led his people and brought us to this land. This is before that. We're told now why that was done back here. 10.1 That I may show these signs of mine among you and that you may have a story that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians. What signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. See, See the marvel of this? I'm giving you the world's greatest object lesson in history. This is the story of reality so that you would know who God is. I'm doing this to to give you a story, a truth, a reality. 11.9 Pharaoh will not listen that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And our kids know those stories now. How many of you have fond memories of the first time you heard the story of the parting of the Red Sea? as a child. Huh? Those stories matter. That's why our kids, thank heaven, that's why our kids don't just color in Sunday school. They are, they're not just doing crafts with popsicle sticks. Unless it relates to gospel truth, to what we want our kids to know as a culture, as a people, that God by grace would save them. Oh. Story of reality of God's chosen people. Three takeaways. Three takeaways from the text this morning. From the texts with an S. I lisp it, I can't say it. Texts. God redeems in the Old Testament. God is a God of redemption in the Old Testament. It's not God of the Old and then God of the New. Well, it is, but it's only one God. And it's the same glorious and good and gracious God of redemption 
Second point, and of love. God loves in the New Testament. 7 8. He loves. He set his love. 7 7. Because he loves. Yes, there's harshness in the old. We are long removed from, from some of the commands which to our modern sensibilities. I'm not undermining them. I'm not saying they're not difficult texts in the Old Testament. I'm not talking about the text where you can't wear polyester and linen. There are difficult texts in the Old Testament. We are long removed from those. But there are texts of justice, of treating foreigners not with, with, with impartiality as fairly as you would treat your locals, of condemning murder, and, and places of sanctuary for murderers if the murder wasn't premeditated. How just? Just a sanctuary place. Pay the, pay the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That wasn't about everybody goes blind. It's a proverb for proportionality in sentencing. Our own legal system could benefit from some proportionality in sentencing. There was a day, not far removed from our grandparents' time, when a loaf of bread sent you to prison. That's not proportional justice. That's what eye for an eye meant. It was proportional. And it was about the value of life. So God redeems. God loves in the Old Testament. He's about love. The God of the Old Testament is a God of love and a God of redemption. And the two of those goes to get, go together. That's the third point. Law and supply, you get a market dynamic. Okay? You do law, you know, law of supply and demand in, in economics, law of supply and demand, and the convergence of those in a very different situation where you've got competing products and whatnot in a marketplace, that's called the market. The intersection of love and the intersection of redemption gives us the God of the Old Testament, the God of grace. The God of grace in the old, just like in the new. With the full revelation in the new of Christ. Let's bump ahead very quickly and we'll close with this. Romans 9. You say, dearie, God chooses. God sets love. God selects. Not because, not because, not because. Why? Grace. God picks. God chooses. It's all God. He hardens heart when he needs to harden hearts. Though Jacob and Esau were not yet born, I'm paraphrasing, in Romans 9, at the 11th verse, although they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Hard truth? Yes. What's your response to grace in the Old Testament? Look, there's mystery in it, but it is grace, and salvation is all grace. God's choosing his people is all grace then, and it is now. The God of the Old Testament is a God of grace, and the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. What's the reaction? Well, what shall we say then? Paul says it for us. Paul has the same reaction. He knows what we're going to say when we read that text. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? No means, no means. For he says to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. He will not turn away the repentant sinner. Come to Jesus, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Declare with, the Lord, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and be saved. But understand the grace that is in that. That's why we pray, Lord, open that person's mind. Praying for a loved one, a work colleague. Open their ears. Violate their will. No, no. Work in them by your spirit. 
let them see the truth and respond to the gospel in grace so that it depends not on human will or exertion for his chosen people then or his chosen people now. It's all grace. But it depends on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, huh? for this very purpose, I raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Moses knew this. That's grace. That's grace. Hebrews 11.26, very quickly. 11.26. Doing this from memory, I think it's the right text. Moses, who considered the reproach of Christ greater than being Pharaoh's daughter's son, who considered the reproach of Christ. He was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt. By faith he did this. By faith he did that. By faith the people crossed the land. By faith, by faith, by faith. In response to the God of the Old Testament, the God of grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truths of your word. Father, we don't pretend there aren't difficult things in your word sometimes. We don't pretend to understand it all. Peter said some of the things are difficult. So far removed from the history, the culture, the climate that your chosen people and you yourself operated in. It can be hard to grasp with some of it, to grapple. But you are the God of grace in the old and in the new. Father, open our eyes to marvel at your grace, to respond to your grace, and us saints to be saints in response to grace. Amen.